Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. Well, folks, welcome to this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about managing anhydrous ammonia. It's, it's fertilizer season, kind of across a lot of MFA trade territory, at least row crop country. Pretty hardcore, or has been over the past few weeks, over the winter time, continues to be, as long as we can maintain some good weather. One of the most important fertilizers that we're putting out this time of year, pre-plant, is our forms of nitrogen. And so we really want to go over today just kind of how we manage anhydrous ammonia across our trade territory, what parts of it kind of use it, and what to watch out for uh, in, in applications. And, and so with us today, uh, we've got Scott Wilburn, a uh, district agronomist mm-hmm. with, with MFA, and I'll let you kind of introduce yourself, Scott. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm a district, district agronomist for um, Districts 3 and, and 6. That'd be kind of the old uh, Region 2 in Northeast Missouri. Uh, been in that role since uh, this past summer. Prior to that, I've been in uh, Aldrin County and you know, around Mexico and uh, Ladonia, Vandalia, Montgomery City, and uh, Martinsburg for um, really about the last 20 years. Uh, been been some other locations uh, going even further than that, but that, that's really where I've spent the 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 last, like I say, about 20 years. Everything from uh, from outside sales to uh, just uh, kind of everything agronomy. I, I always kind of enjoyed the the troubleshooting, so I, I got pulled into some of that stuff pretty early. Um, then also I've uh, done a lot of work on the on the precision side, uh, VRT, uh, you know, our NutriTrack programs. Um, I've uh, also had some crop track acres, you know, when we first started that at the locations. Uh, so just pretty much everything on the agronomy side. Um, what about before that, yeah. Scott? You kind of, you're a farm kid? or it, it always interests me how people kind of get into agriculture, working in agriculture. Well, yeah. A lot of times there's not a lot of external forces at play there. So, um, I, wouldn't, I would not say a farm kid. It, it, you know, I come from a farm family and, and pretty much as, as kind of the family farm um, you know, everybody kind of moved away from that in, in, in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of moved off and, and farmed and or, you know, most of them found another situation they were farming in. Uh, so we're, our, our, the kind of the Wilburns around home are, are associated with, with the farm. Myself, you know, we left, uh, we left the farm. Um, I remember going and, uh, meeting my kindergarten teacher, you know, like you did before you went the next year. But in between then and when I actually started, we'd already, we'd moved to Mexico and different school and, and the whole thing. So it was just kind of right when I was uh, in kindergarten. So I, you know, yeah, I was born on the farm. I've got some memories of that, but as far as the day to day, um, you know, I, I didn't have that. Hmm. Um, so when I came to just kind of a quick funny aside, could have almost been dangerous. When I first started working for MFA, it's when I was in when I was, when I was in college. I got in got in high school, got in Voag, you know, thought kind of returned to roots a little bit. Got a lot of interest in that. Actually, at the time, a little more on the livestock side. Um, kind of the the love for the agronomy side didn't really come until until I started with MFA first as a uh, just part time help when I was in college still over at Ladonia, and uh, and then later on. But, uh, you know, I started over there, whatever I was at the time, 18, 19 years old, 
and everybody assumed I was one of those Wilburn Farm kids, and I, I kind of let them assume that. And, <laughs> sure. well, you, can you do this? Well, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, really didn't want to admit that there was a lot of things I didn't have a clue about. But, you know, fortunately, I didn't tear up too much and did not get anybody hurt and anything like that. But uh, that was something that's actually come up in some other discussions, talking to younger guys. Man, don't ever be scared to ask because yeah. I could have I caused a lot of problems early on. <laughs> but definitely, sure. definitely had ag- agriculture in the background and, and family was still involved in that. And, you know, growing up in Mexico, Missouri, I mean, we had two, two industries, bricks and farming. Oh. Yeah, it's hard and, not to uh, be in, the, in yeah, those and, you know, areas. The, the brick but, business kind of went away, so we were left with that. So Sure. Probably more than you wanted to know, but th- that's sure. the background. No, I'm, right. I'm just, yeah, no, that's cool. I, I'm just always <clears> super <throat> interested because, because yeah, I, especially in the folks who aren't a farm kid is what is the ones that actually are more interesting to me, like yourself, just because so many folks in, in agriculture, you just don't have the passion for it unless you were raised in it a lot of times. And, uh, or I don't know, maybe that's too broad a statement, but... But it's just interesting to me how people get into the profession, I guess, who, who weren't raised on a farm. So, but. Yeah, I was pulled in some other directions for, you know, different things that I could have could have done. And, and even, you know, early on, left MFA after being there for a couple, three years just to do a totally different business, kind of on the finance side. And I just remember one day standing there in a suit and watching one of my buddies drive by the place I was working, you know, in a interrogator and just thought, man, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's a great business. Learned a lot, but sure. uh, but yeah, sure. no, it just kind of had the tug. Yeah. So, well, working working kind of in North Missouri for that long or that much of your career, I'm sure um, you sound like you're probably the right guy for us to bring in and, and talk a little bit about nitrogen management, a little bit about anhydrous ammonia. So, you know, used generally widely across the north part of our territory. So, I guess the first question first question for you is. It's kind of what are the what are what are we getting out of anhydrous? What are the advantages disadvantages to a grower to to for utilizing that product? Probably first and foremost, it's 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 a product that once we you know if we get it in the soil, it's the weather is gonna gonna work on it less than a lot of the other products. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I started to say it's it's probably one of the safer products from a standpoint of of, of losing it. Um, but you know, it's uh, talking about anhydrous as being being safe. You gotta you gotta be kind of careful about that because it's definitely we know one of the products we gotta we have to respect. Um, you know, it's one of the things when when we look at other options. I always kind of have in my mind, anhydrous has some some physical baggage to it. It's it's it does have safety concerns. It's got to be respected. Um, Obviously, we exist in a regulatory environment that, that creates some challenges and, and a lot of expense. Um, it's a product that, you know, we, we can't really pile up. Uh, even the locations that are fortunate enough to be able to stack some rail cars can only hold so much of it at a time. And, you know, when we're operating strong, we're, we're pretty hand-to-mouth with it. Um, but despite all of those things, it, it's our go-to. And there's a reason for that, and it's, it's because uh, just the, the loss you know pathways that that exist with other other products um they're they're not gone with anhydrous by any means but if we can get it in the soil and and uh, not have just a a real train wreck train wreck weather wise a lot of times it gives us our best chance to to have nitrogen later in the season when we need it sure yeah no that's that's a big thing and and you know as we talk about you know any nitrogen fertilizer source you know the first thing we go to is loss like you said and 
and I think your safety analogy is is a good one. And we can talk about product safety versus versus what you're talking about, which is basically safety of plant available nitrogen. Right. Um, Our you know, agronomic safety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agronomic safety. Um, you know, whereas whereas anhydrous is is pulling just into gas out of the air and, and compressing it. And it actually turns it into an ammonia form versus a nitrate form. And as soon as that nitrate form uh, exists, then it's it's on its way out essentially of our system. So I think that's a that's a that's a good advantage. And I just you know, like you you know, you mentioned the actual physical safety of things. You know, my dad never would use anhydrous when I was a kid. We never did just because you know had a neighbor that that got burned and and just. I'm sure it was a, a vivid memory in his mind, and so we never did use it. But uh, but certainly has its place in 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 management for sure. So so we're sitting here kind of in the middle of winter right now, and and so I think an important discussion is you know we see a lot of anhydrous going on in the fall, um, right? Typically starting pretty early in some parts of the trade territory or some parts of the Midwest, kind of extending all the way to planting time. So I definitely want to get into timing a little bit about, you know, maybe when's the best time or what are some things to think about as you're looking at, at timing to, to maybe put down some product. Well, I mean, when you talk about kind of the best timing in, in a perfect world, you know, I'd like to see all the corn side dressed when it's about 18 inches tall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's the perfect world. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of things keep that from happening. You know, a lot of fields don't lend themselves to... To, to a side dress just you know you, you'd like to have not necessarily straight rows but that definitely helps yeah the window of, of when you put that on you know if you if you try to do that you know all when it's literally a side dress op- operation you can get shut down pretty quick and next thing you know you got shoulder high corn <clears throat> or more the other thing that that really is a practical concern is you know if everybody was trying to do that in that short time when time frame you know, this is this, as I said earlier. This is a product we can't pile up. We're very reliant on. You know, well, anymore we're very reliant on trucking. Yeah. Um, we've lost a, one of our pipelines in the Midwest. I mean, there's just a lot of things that have made the logistics of it tougher. Um, while at the same time, the ability to put it on fast has just, you know, kept increasing. You know, I've, I've been in this business, you know, not forever by any means, just 20 some odd years. But in that time period, I've seen it change from, you know, you drag a couple tanks out to a guy in the morning. And, you know, if you got him a, another two late in the afternoon, he, he was pretty happy with you. And I mean, now when you get to, when guys get to rolling, you can't keep it to them. When we get these custom bars going, um, you know, not just the size of the bars, but, but some of these high speed bars. You know, the, what's the, the 25-10 deer, you know, you run it 10, 11 miles an hour. It's a big bar. You're running it fast. I mean, you can put a lot of stuff on in no time. And, and sure. all of that is, is really coming from a similar, you know, logistics system that we've always had that's, that's actually been put under more strain in the last, you know, few years, just as I said, with the pipeline and all that. So because of this... You know, I want to acknowledge that the perfect timing would be in, in the crop and, and all sure. that, and Absolutely. we'd like to do it, but there's a reason we've got to get it going early in the year if we're going to use it. So so I, I don't want to address the whole state. and In our part of the world, you know, that's sometime in November. You know, the middle middle of the month is a pretty pretty safe bet. 
Uh, there's other times that you get started earlier. You got to, you got to, you know, it's already cold and you got a forecast that looks like it's going to be that way. We, we kind of use that 50 degree benchmark. Explain that a little bit, your 50 degrees um, that you just talked about. You're, you're looking at soil temperature, right? Yes. Yeah. Kind of turns into a long story if you're not concerned. No, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're good. You know, basically when you're, when you're putting on, on ammonia, um, we're putting on NH3, and, and NH3 pretty much exists in a pressurized tank. As soon as it's released to the wild, it's desperately trying to, you know, just, if you want to personify it, I'd, I'd say it's violently trying to become NH4. And, and it gets that extra, you know, just basic chemistry, NH3 to NH4, you need another hydrogen, it gets it from H2O. Um, kind of touching back on the safety thing again, it doesn't care if it gets that H2O out of the soil, you know, as we'd like it to, or if it gets it out of your eyeball or tries to get it out of your skin or whatever. It is, it is doing everything it can to become kind of that little more natural state of NH4. Assuming it was done the way we want it to, and it's in the soil, NH4 is ammonium. And the, the nice thing about ammonium is, again, kind of back to just real basic high school chemistry, you've got the kind of the plus minus thing going on where uh, that ammonium has a, has a positive charge and that's gonna bind it to the, to the negative charges in our, in our soil. So as long as it is doing that, it is, it is held to the soil. So unless you, you get a situation, a weather event that literally moves soil, and, and again, we're talking, now we're talking soil that's in the profile where you put it, so a lot of times seven, eight inches, you know, that, that nitrogen is very safe there. It's, sure. it's gonna, be, gonna be held to the soil particles. As soon as it converts to nitrate, that positive negative thing switches and it's available now for loss. And there's really two loss pathways. The, the first and foremost, it seems the most basic, if it's not bound to the soil and you get a rain, it, it can just run out with the rainwater. That's, that's, that's the leaching we talk about. Yep. The other, uh, <clears throat> the other avenue that is probably at least on the soils I've worked on, and I'd say probably on the soils that get anhydrous. I mean, there's different soil types where, where leaching is a real issue, and we get leaching up on the clay pan too. You can see it, you know, in waterways sometimes. You can see it in road cuts. I mean, there, we, we do lose some, some nitrogen that way. But the big one we lose nitrogen through is denitrification. And, and basically the, the real general way to explain it is, is there's bacteria in the soil that that normally uses oxygen and when the ground is saturated it really doesn't have anything to do with the ground being saturated it has to do that, that with the fact that the oxygen's gone it's not the water it's the fact that the water filled all the pore spaces there's no oxygen left well this bacteria at that point switches to um, they can actually feed off a of nitrate and and keep on doing their thing and, and when they do that it basically you're the, Part of that fun function of what they do is just gases it right into the air. And it's a natural process. Anything that you have in the soil that's going, you know, this process exists outside of fertilizer. Um, but it's one that we obviously want to slow down whenever sure. whenever we're putting it on. And, you know, just we want it to go to the corn and obviously yeah. don't want to just put more of it in the environment we have to and everything like that. But the reason you tell this whole long story is we want to keep anhydrous as ammonium as long as possible. And basically 50 degrees and there's nothing magical about 50 it, you know there's other factors that go into all this but that is when the process of 
the back there's a bacteria. I don't think I said that actually is responsible for converting ammonia to nitrate. Um, so you've got the bacteria that once it's nitrate can cause you to have problems with denitrification, but you also have bacteria that causes the ammonia to become nitrate, and it becomes it becomes much less active below 50. And the farther you go below 50, it becomes less active. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a living organism. It's bacteria, right? Exactly. So, I mean, you think about us. We don't like to be out and be active when it's freezing cold. Right. So, I mean, it's the same thing for them. You know, when that soil temperature gets below 50, they're a lot less active. So they're less likely to start converting the ammonium to nitrate, which is the most usable form for the plant uptake, but also most apt adept to being lost as well like you said so yeah yeah the longer we can keep it ammonium basically the, the better so the first thing that that we can do to help that is is let the soil temperature you know get down that's that's the one that's free you know has nothing to do with you know any other products or anything it's just we're, we're taking advantage of, of the weather that we have generally late fall and and through the winter um anhydrous anhydrous ammonia itself um, just the fact that, that it's concentrated and, and the physical properties of it do a lot to drop those numbers anyways. But then most times we're going to recommend putting, putting a stabilizer with it, like, uh, like Inserve, for example, that keeps those populations down even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically, as long as you stay cool, uh, they're not coming back, and uh, you, know, you, you just bought yourself some extra time. Uh, I have seen ammonia go on very, very early to where I thought, man, that's a really bad idea. And, and seen it work. I've also seen, you know, plenty of years where we stacked everything in our favor and we were still out there doing a rescue top dress later in the season. So, so Mother Nature still has a say in all this. But year in, year out, if, if you kind of try to time it to where, the, where your soils are cool or you're at least heading in that direction and then you stabilize it as well, um, you know that's, that's about the best shot you're gonna you're gonna give yourself. Okay, so you men- you mentioned stabilizers, and, and granted, uh, you know I I definitely heard you when you said the best timing would have been you know as close to planting as possible, and we talked about the logistics and why that's just not always possible. So let's say you know we, we have to put some on in the fall, or or we did put some on in the fall, maybe. Um, is, is there anything else you, you mentioned the stabilizers? Anything else you might look for as, as something that's like, well, you know, this field would would be very conducive to, to being okay with some fall anhydrous, whereas this field I would never think about doing that. No, that's yeah, that's a good point. Um, part of what we're doing in, in mitigating risk, it, I would not want every acre, as I said, to be side dressed. I, I still, you know, we, we do some of that every year, and it's and it. It's a successful program for, for a lot of guys. In most cases, it's not one that we, like I said, would do on every acre. And even the, even the growers that I've worked with in the past that, that, that like to side dress their anhydrous, they've usually got some up front. You know, they put on, you know, as low as 80 or 90, but a lot of times they, they've put on, you know, 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or they've had dry on right behind it. They wanted something to at least get them past what yeah. could be you know, if that window closes. Um, you know, if you've got a field that, I mean, the, the obvious obvious one would be if you had a field, um, <laughs> there's a good chance of water getting over it or yeah. just anything like that. Say I mean, what anymore, that's a lot of fields. So. No, it is, it is, it is. And, and to be fair, I mean, we're talking, I can tell you um, even kind of branching out into more of a, of a regional role, role and, and I've been around 
this area for quite a while, but you know, I don't have a lot of experience in the river bottoms, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's there's different situations. There's there's uh, um, just different different fields that there's also fields that you know you have intentions to try to rotate it, and they end up being uh, in our you know around home. You know, I worked with a grower for years that he really wanted to have a corn bean rotation, but you know they're on the flat and had some problems with you know the railroad kind of backs water up, and you know all of a sudden your your corn bean rotation is corn every yeah. you know four to five years. And, you know, those are situations where he probably want, doesn't want to do it in the fall. Sure. Because the odds are he's not going to get it planted to corn. Yeah, yeah. and then he yeah. just wasted, wasted fertilizer. Yeah, and it doesn't take a particularly wet year for that to happen. It just sure. takes the water at the wrong time, and, and it kind of, kind of piles up on those particular fields. So those are the obvious ones. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely thinking about the, the river bottom <clears throat> thing and just, you know, a typical Missouri farm may have some river bottom, may have some upland ground. Seems like the fall applications probably be a lot, lot more conducive on on some of our clay pan stuff, where we may not leach that that nitrogen down, you know, through the winter time. Um, whereas, you know, especially you know, far part of the Missouri River bottom, you know, a lot of the Mississippi system, especially as you move far northeast, is is sand based. You know, is those sand particles just allow a lot more leaching to to happen and. Yeah. So. Yeah. Even yeah. On a lot of our soils, even if we have leaching, you got to kind of wonder how far far is it going to leach. Yeah. Um, the denitrification has definitely been the one that we worry about the most. You know, saturated soils, and then if you if you get warm weather to boot, which we generally do, um, seems like when we get in those situations that you know it can really it it is really under it, it's it's greatly underestimated how much nitrogen you can lo- nitrogen you can lose, yeah. both from from volatility, which doesn't doesn't really pertain to anhydrous, you know that would be when we put your you know urea on top of the ground untreated, um, but but really what we can lose in a in a bad situation that sets up denitrification. The only other thing that came to mind when you were talking about places that are that are more better fit for it than others, I don't know if this is the place, but I get asked about this quite a bit. Um, and I've, and I've kind of been asked about it my whole career, how how CEC kind of plays into to anhydrous. And there have, you know, there have been some, uh, well, kind of the equation that, that makes the rounds. And, and I know a lot of our guys have, have been, even been exposed to this and kind of use it as a rule of, thumb, rule of thumb, rather, is basically a unit of CEC per 10 pounds of, of nitrogen. So the idea being if you've only got a CEC of of 10, you know, that ground will only hold a hundred pounds of nitrogen. Sure. So, so the idea is anything above that is, is waste. It can't hold it. Yeah. And I have always, you know, I kind of went deep into kind of researching that and quizzing any of the experts I could actually get face to face. The one, the one that I've, I've got to where I forward to guys anymore. And I forget the professor's name. It's from Iowa state, um, which, you know, smack dab in the middle of corn country. And it yeah. really, it really kind of debunks that. Um, he talks about going into to sandy soils and, and you know putting much higher rates. Uh, it gets into the science of what's involved. It's not as it's not as simple an equation as just that CEC. So I guess I, I would say if you listen to this and that's something you've been exposed to, do a little bit of your own research. Now I will tell you, you plug that into Google, it's going to give you one swearing up and down that's what it is, and it's going to give you others that say it's not the case. <laughs> um, I've done that myself and. It's where I've kind of ended up as I look at the ones that say that it's not the case versus the ones that say it is, and 
I've kind of landed on thinking it's not really the case just because of, of who's telling us that. The other thing on that, at least without trying to get really deep into it and, and being argumentative about it, in our part of the world sitting on the clay, you know, I, I've explained that I, that's really not the case, and I may forward them kind of, like say, information from Iowa, or, and I think Illinois had some similar information. But I also tell them, you're basing that off a soil test that was six inches, and it may have a CEC of 10 or 11. You take a deeper soil sample yes. where we're actually putting the anhydrous, and all of a sudden you're going to be up in the 20s really fast on, right. on our clays. And so then if, even if you use the math that I don't think is correct, yeah. it still works out because yeah. it's going to let you put yeah. on 200 pounds. Right. right. And Missouri, so, yeah. Missouri, yeah, we are not not typically a primo, super deep topsoil state. So a lot of times we go to some of our B horizon stuff is pretty shallow. Yes. And that's going to be a lot heavier soil, a lot higher CEC. And the, and the science behind that, the reason I always pass it on, it, it is way above my pay grade. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I don't <laughs> claim to have a great handle on all of it. But it's one where I thought, okay, he knows what he's talking about, and and there's others that back that sure, too. So sure, but it but it's it is one of those things that pops up and it kind of yeah. it almost I don't want to say mm-hmm. makes the rounds like it's like I'm disparaging it, but it. It's, well, I guess I guess I won't hear anything about it, and then I'll have three phone calls in a day, and I'm like, somebody on TV was talking about this, or it's in a magazine somewhere. Sure, because it happens all at once. Sure, but it's just, I guess just another thing to think about. I guess maybe when you're when you're trying to decide what rate you are going to put on put down, you know, maybe you know, using your soil type or maybe your CEC to kind of predict what your soil type possibly is might might help you make those decisions a little bit at least. Um, it it may not be as cut and dried as you know ten to one or whatever. Right. Um, so let's work to the spring now a little bit. What parts of those, you know, what parts of those management tips that you've given kind of hold true for the spring, for a spring application? What parts of them can we get rid of? Do we, do we still need to use that inhibitor? Are we still look, are we looking at soil temperature then? Like what, what, how does our management change a little bit as we go into spring? You know, it, as you go into spring, I guess the, the period of time that I'm really worried about is it, it just seems like more years than not we get into we get a period in may maybe even early june but where you just really get saturated and yep. and you either don't have it it's not planted yet or you planted it and, and now because of that situation you're looking at a replant you know you just you're looking at corn with a long way to go and you're already asking man are, are we are we losing our nitrogen and i i years ago long before we had the Again, there's perfect world, and then there's once you've been doing this for a while, you figure out trying to mitigate for for the things that can happen. Early on, I I just kind of when when a man came up and asked me, "Do you think we're losing nitrogen in in the spring? In the spring, well, you know, when the crop was out there, or or like say hadn't even been planted or need to be replanted, I almost immediately skipped to how can we get more nitrogen out there." I'm not saying that was always the case. I'm not saying it was always the right answer, but just intuitively, if they're if they're asking the question, it's because we've had some weather sure. that mm-hmm. they've watched over the years turns into yellow corn. Yeah. Yep. So, and you really, when we did not have, you know, you might have had a, a couple buggies that that could get over, you know, get down the rows, and and you know, you were really limited on the height. I mean, you had to move fast. You had to, you know, otherwise you start getting into, you know, having to get an airplane and, and you, you, sometimes availability is an issue there you know some fields don't lend themselves for for an aerial so i've just always been kind of we just have that period where that happens 
Um, if you put on your anhydrous, you know, you didn't put it on in the fall, but you put it on more of a, a, a February or March. I, if it's a normal winter where it gets cold and stays cold, there's not a lot of difference that's happened to it. I mean, if, sure. you, if you put it on first of December or you put it on middle of February, it's not, you know, the one wasn't exposed really for any longer because it, it was basically, you know, kind of sitting in the deep freeze and not doing anything. Right. So, so really there's no difference between the two. You're still trying to mitigate the loss. that's not going to happen until May and June. Right. Um, exactly. So that's. So I mean, we're, we have all the locations that I have worked with. Now there are growers that will use it in the fall that back off in the spring. But there are more and more that continue to keep using it in the spring. Continue to use that stabilizer. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the situation is, if you've got, well, you know, and, and we we used to even you've heard this. Well, I'm not going to use it, but uh, you know, instead of 150, I'm going to put on 170. I, if you've got conditions where you can lose it, that's just that much more you can lose. Correct. Yep. You know, so you so you got to protect it. I, I think just for what it does through the rest of the season, and we're always, you know, hopefully, you know, we're going to get rains, and eventually you're going to get in those situations where you stay wet for a few days. Uh, I just think year in and year out, it's gonna it's gonna pay. Uh, you know, it's one if you do. There's a lot of things we do. I mean, seed treatments, stabilizers. If you do them on just a one-off year and you do a side-by-side, you may not see it. But these are things that over the long, you know, over that, that three-year, four-year average, they they more than more than pay for themselves. And, you know, in the case of anhydrous, it may may save having to come back in with another with another uh, in-season application. You know, so it's not only that it kind of saves you a little up front, it saves you having to make that one more pass and everything that comes with it. So. Yeah. I, I don't know that I change a whole lot when you. No, I agree. I mean, when you think about you think about the stabilizer, the whole reason we're putting on anhydrous after it's fifty degrees is like we talked about that night. That bacteria is slowed down late after the temperature has dropped down. Well, really, once it's dropped down, that you know, it's kind of protected by that cold weather in the soil. We're really trying to protect it again for when it starts warming back up early spring. Because I mean, let's be honest. When it starts warming back up early spring, first part of April, and we talked about, you know, your perfect world, you want the nitrogen, you know, side dress, the corn, 18, 12 to 18 inches tall because that's where it's starting to grow. That's where it's going to really start taking on that nitrogen. We're trying to extend the period of when we put the anhydrous into the ground to make sure that that nitrogen is there for when it's getting to that 12 to 18 inches. So, yeah, those soils starting to warm up. We're getting that 50 degrees, you know, that magical number where the bacteria is starting to come back alive starting to transfer it to nitrate we want to make sure that we're trying to give it as long as it can to stay before it gets in the nitrate form and loss for that plant to be being able to grow up so i agree with you scott i think having a stabilizer is going to pay seven eight eight out of ten years every time um, you know we're always going to have those weather events where we may just have a super dry um super dry super cold spring winter all the way through and the next thing you know it warms up and it's a perfect year where you know it may not have paid but well there's some you, you can i don't know some of the neatest side-by-side stuff i've seen on ammonia really were never set up as trials it's it's the thing where a guy's got his own bar and he wants to flush it out at the end of the season so he gets that last tank without anhydrous or without not without anhydrous without inserve in it because mm-hmm. there again i mean inserves we talk about the <clears throat> The negatives with uh, with with having to handle an anhydrous and and inserts similar. It's corrosive and 
hard on our equipment and you know you end up having to take things apart and pick rust out of them and all that but despite all that hassle we believe in it because when you look at a yield map and a guy shows you hey here's that last tank i got and you can i mean it's a line like you went out there and just drew it uh it's pretty dramatic and yeah. makes it makes an yeah. impact on you and it doesn't take you know it doesn't it can pay for itself multiple years in one and, and that kind of situation you know what i mean like where yeah. that you you brought that insurance policy it's just like you don't you know you don't collect on your homeowner's insurance every single year or, uh, or pretty soon they're not going to insure you anymore if you did i guess yeah. <laughs> but but when you need that insurance it, it definitely pays for itself then so i think that's a that's kind of a good way to look look at it you know you mentioned the the toolbar um, and, and kind of working on it. What what can somebody who has their own toolbar, or, or what are some ways that um, some just kind of practices to look at looking on looking on your toolbar? Is there anything we can kind of watch for on that, just to make sure we're you know applying it even, or you know is the the two that I probably I probably see, and you know anytime I get in on on working on a toolbar, I've generally got somebody there who knows a lot more than me, and I'm I'm going and getting tools and doing what I'm told and, and that kind of thing, <laughs> especially if it involves a cooler or something like that. I can be pretty decent with a monitor, I guess, but when you get into the, <laughs> when the in the bar itself. But I guess the two from a coming back and, and looking at situations in a field, it's, it's plug knives and uh, trying to get too far on a tank. Um, the, the first one, trying to get too far from a tank, I, on a tank, I suspect that's happened for years, but I don't spe- I don't think the grower probably calls us when he put on his own gas. Right. And, and, he, <laughs> yeah. and he had that skip, you know, he yeah. sees it and makes a note to himself, don't do that again, and, and rolls on. When our, as we do more and more custom application, and we do that, um, yeah, we get phone calls about it because it, sure. cause it just j- sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, there's, there's just no doubt what happened. And, uh, and, and it's not... I think what's going on a lot of times, and, and I by no means claim to be any kind of expert when you get into the, the equipment of this stuff, but you know, I think a lot of times, you know, your monitor's beeping at you a little bit, so you know, hey, I'm, you know, you're on watch and get to the end of the tank, but it still seems to be pretty much holding rate, and, and you know, I'm told vapor, that, you know, can keep that, keep uh, your meter spinning, and you know, kind of give you a false sense that you're still putting it on, and and really. It, it just seems like as soon as that thing's acting like I'm at the low end, it's time time to switch tanks. Yeah. Because um, that's that's one that, again, it just, a lot of times, if, if it's a field where you can kind of see over it, you, you may see it earlier in the season. You know, if a guy happens to get up on top of a, you know, a, working on a pivot and he can look out over, over a field and that kind of thing. But a lot of times they don't see it until they're in, the, in there with the yield monitor. And uh, it... I've had it shown to me on a yield monitor where even without looking at the field, you just that, that's what yeah, happened. You see it, and then yeah. and then with some of our systems now, where we can go back and look at the application yep. um, map, we can see that our rate was was jumping a little bit at that point in time. Sure. Just kind of back it up. The, the nozzle thing that that one's kind of tough, especially whenever you're doing, you know, it's a it, it's a, it's a, not like when you kick a sprayer on and walk walk behind it to. To see what you got, you know. Yeah, you can easily see when something's not cooperating. Yeah, you got to you be careful. And guys, guys, raise them up and and make sure everything's running when they can. But a little tougher sometimes in nighttime conditions and such. Um, one one thing that and and there may be split opinion on this, so I I don't claim to be an expert on this as well. But I I do know some locations that have worked with uh, 
you know, putting some meters on, uh, monitors rather, on, on, the, on each uh, section, or not section, each, each, mm-hmm. exit, each knife. Um, and basically what it is, and they're not, they're not extremely expensive considering what it's, what it's going on and what it's doing. But basically it's, a, it's looking at the temperature of the hose down close to the knife okay. and basic, basically if it starts warming up it's letting you know you've got an issue with interesting you know an issue with the uh, with anhydrous getting getting to that point yeah um, you know so you can back it up you've either you know that that's going to help you more something that's more upstream if you've if you had to if you filled a knife up when you buried it or something like that or you accidentally backed up or something like that right you know I don't know how it works in, in that kind of situation I guess if it's not flowing that product may still warm up over over, would, over time. I, I guess yeah. I guess it yeah. would. Yeah. But if if you had an issue back at the manifold or anything like that, it would definitely tell you that. Or if you had, you know, for whatever reason, feeding to one section but not another. And yeah. Uh, so so that's kind of interesting. Maybe something yeah. to check into. I, I don't. Right. And you know, a lot of times that that product still flowed through the. You know, it's it's similar to a to a streak. You know, with a dry machine, the the product ended up out there. Mm-hmm. How much you may not know. Um, sometimes it, it's not a no flow; it's it's a restricted flow. So, so you have you have an area that's still still got some product, but it's it's showing up as lighter than the other. Just all those things create yeah create questions and and that you have to investigate. And and you know nowadays, I mean, you know, with you just see a lot more of those things because just so many drones and yeah those kind of things yeah it just, it, i was gonna say we've seen that a lot scott with flying drone and oh, aerial yeah. imagery satellite imagery and stuff we can definitely see yeah you see the streaking especially from the single knife you can definitely pick it out a lot more yeah so. no that's true you know even those are the two that really jumped to mind for me as far as yeah. far as other things just it's like anything else you want to you want to check yourself you you know you you everything you you have it calibrated speed calibration is a big thing when you're putting on on anhydrous um, and it doesn't have to be super technical I've used the GPS you know a, a speed app off my phone that's GPS to yeah. to dial in a get you close yeah you know, dial a raven in before um, but just the simple thing of weighing tanks back and, and kind of keeping yeah. track you know maybe you can't do it on every field but you know grab one and check yourself from time to time right um, yeah. those are just kind of the basic stuff sense. anything soil condition wise that you should watch out for well, I mean, as you... I mean, anymore, it seems like with big horsepower, we've got the ability to be out there doing things when we shouldn't be out there doing things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I, think, th- I think that goes with anything, maybe more so with the anhydrous, just because we've got to make sure you close that trench back up, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, there's good and bad parts of big horsepower, but it, it does allow you to be out there when maybe you shouldn't sometimes. I mean, I guess the first, I think back to like a year, like 2012 and maybe even 13, but I know 12 for sure. You know, we, we were just, we were so dry. You know, as we said earlier, NH3 wants to be NH4 and it gets that extra H from H2O. Yep. There, if there's literally no moisture in the soil. Mm-hmm. I, I remember one of those years going out about that time and, and we were having this conversation with guys or they were asking the question. I, I remember actually, you know, we would go out, I always have a spade in my truck and dig holes yeah you know because yeah it's awful dry here what's it look like you know deeper um and in some cases it was dry enough you were concerned right you know because if it's if it doesn't have the chance to to convert and and bind to the soil um 
you know, it can hang out there for a while, and, and as it's kind of finding the crevices and, and everything else as it expands out, you you know, you could be a, a chance for losing it. Okay. Um, I, I believe the year I'm thinking of, though, by the time the temperature kind of got the way it needed to be, we picked up a rain, and, and it kind of... At least had a little moisture in there. Then. Yeah, I mean, enough that we felt comfortable doing it. The other ones are, are just kind of the basics. You want to close the trench. I do kind of tell people, keep in mind that if you see just a little bit of gas, if, you, if you've ever, and you shouldn't ever do this, um, but if you've ever seen anybody drop a little drop of anhydrous, you know, onto, onto the ground or something, I mean, it is amazing how long just a little drop of it can sit there and sizzle. So when you see a little bit, you know, kind of poofing out of the ground, um, it may not be as much for, I mean, you want it to seal up, obviously, but again, perfect world versus, you know, kind of getting it on. A little bit is, is probably not hurting you like you would think. Now, if you're going round after round and the field's still smoking and it stinks and everything else, that's a different situation. Mm, but sure. just because you're seeing just maybe a little bit still, still yeah. coming out, not the end of the world. Probably the big one we worry about most is when it's wet and we, we really slab it in. You know, we're, we're kind of slicing through wetter conditions. As you said, we can get through some stuff we shouldn't be getting through. Um, so you got a situation there where you've got all kinds of moisture in the soil, but if you slick up those, you know, that, that kind of those sidewalls where that anhydrous put in, it may be sealed off from actually permeating through and, and getting, getting, into, the rest of the getting into the other. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, most... Uh, I mean, we push a little bit, probably either direction, but I don't know. Most guys have been putting it on on a while. They they've got a pretty good handle of kind of the conditions. And if you're out there throwing mud and, and those kind of things, it's <laughs> it's going to cause you all kinds of other problems. Just yeah, I just I've never seen one of those situations work out real good where you're like, no, well, I'm, I'm glad I went out there and mudded that in, or yeah. I'm glad I went out and did that tillage when it was. Well, too not wet. only that, I mean, here's the big one. You uh, I'll chase rabbits if you're not careful. You know, you get in a situation like that, you're dragging a big old heavy tank across there. Sure. You know, and if you mm -hmm. and if you're fortunate enough to be hooked onto one of our one of our doubles, you know, side by side doubles or tandem tanks, whatever we call them, you know, there's a lot of weight pressing down on on four tires. Yeah. We had a uh, situation a few years back, um, and I believe I'm well. I know this was a spring application because I think they do all of theirs in the spring. We had put a uh, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the downforce systems on a planter. And so you had the, uh, basically one of the maps you could look at that the planter created was, was from the downforce. Mm -hmm. And it was showing the anhydrous tanks going across the field. It, it was picking up those tanks. And so you could see that it was needing more force to go in where, the, yes. where that compaction yes. occurred. That's yeah. the feel. Yeah, and, he's, and he's, I've, got, I've got the picture. He sent it to me. Yeah. And he figured it out. And we kind of sure. did some counting and kind of verified it later on. Said, absolutely, that's what it yeah. was. That's why. So, so yeah, you don't. That's another that's, reason you don't. Even if you can not, get it in the ground, you don't want to be dragging those tanks across. Well, and that's another thing that you know, you uh, 15 years ago nobody would have saw something like that. But now that you got the yes. ability to see that, just like we were talking about with the drones, now that you have the ability to see it, it's something that we can mitigate for. Well, and here's another one: you get the drone up there, and, and you may see a pattern that you want to blame on a knife, and it could have it could be wheel tracks. Yeah, I mean it's, it's true. You, you know, there's just that's just yeah. a lot of things going on that we can see now. So yeah, no, so. that's very true. It's all making us better, though. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, no, man, you're exactly, you're exactly the information, right. Information, knowing, yes. knowing that you got yep. the situation, you can. Yeah. Not only, not only gathering all the information, but just, yeah, absolutely, knowing that we can make, we can make some pretty pragmatic decisions to mitigate against a lot of those things that we're seeing out there. So, for sure. 
Scott, I appreciate it. Any other final thoughts you got for us on, on using anhydrous, putting putting nitrogen on in front of, you know, over kind of the late late winter and spring here? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've got a lot of other products. We've got, um, you know, there are some fields that are really don't lend themselves to, to an ammonia application. So we've got some different ways to handle things, but kind of year in, year out, it, it seems to be the one that really kind of gives us our best chance. Uh, yeah. You know, with raising a good corn crop. Right. Yeah, no, I think we kind of covered it. Be safe with it. Yeah, you know, I, I think just to follow up and finish up here, you know, we think about, like you said, Scott, not every field is conducive to anhydrous ammonia. And, we, you know, we have a perfect world where, like you said, we get it on side dress and stuff. But that is, we know that's not feasible for us to be able to cover all of our acres and a producer to be able to cover all of his acres as well and to have it on that right timing. So, you know, that's why we do cropping plans. That's why we sit down, you know, at this time of year and really think about how we want to do it and also utilize um, nitrogen models that we have access to as well. So adapt in and, you know, some of those others that we're utilizing so that we can make sure we have a good plan. And, you know, if we are using anhydrous ammonia, maybe not putting 100% of it out in the fall or early spring, you know, but maybe putting out 70 to 80% of it, knowing that we can use models and our ability to top dress to be able to make up for depending on what mother nature brought us because maybe mother nature's dry and we don't need to put out as much because we didn't lose that nitrogen um so there's a lot of things we can think about and that's why we like to have conversations early and really be able to plan about it so that we can try to make our best decisions moving forward to be profitable and i guess have a backup plan as it goes absolutely well and when, yeah when it comes to nitrogen i mean we have a lot of times you have a Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I will. As yeah. we as we've have, and we don't have them everywhere, but having more of the taller top dress machines, uh, a lot of guys program anymore. They still they still like anhydrous, um, just for all the reasons we discussed. They also like the ability to, uh, you know, when the when the weather gets nice in the spring and it's time to plant, they can plant, and and they're not putting on anhydrous or worse waiting for anhydrous so they can put on sure. anhydrous yeah, before they can even start planting. That's, that's a hard thing to do sit there with corn in the box and the planter that's, waiting yeah. on it. I mean yeah and some you know and, and every year is different but sometimes you know you get crazy things where where the later may be better or anything else but for the most part when it's when it's time to go everybody in kind of a neighborhood wants to get going yeah um put on 100 I, I know we'll have a lot of guys anymore you know, put on 100, 110, 120 with a plan of coming back. Mm-hmm. But they've still got that base. They've still got that, that early that early corn plants kind of reaching down, getting into that nitrogen, gets a boost, and and then you kind of give it what it needs, you know, on the on the backside. And, and, and gives them the chance also with the plan. You know, they're playing on the, on the past. Now, we may have an idea of the rate, but, you know, we use, use uh, the... Uh, the, the programs, the modeling programs that we have available, the, the NutriTrack in, um, you know, we use those to kind of help us truth up our, our rate. They've already got the plan to make the pass. You know, we can call an audible on whether it's going to be 40 pounds, 50 pounds, 60 pounds. And, yep. and even that technology has helped us. You know, Super U wasn't available. Um, so a lot of things kind of change, and, but I think anhydrous is still going to be the base for a lot of our, a lot of our corn acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we appreciate it, Scott. Yeah, Scott, thanks again. We, Thank lot you. Of, a lot of good knowledge there, and and uh, we appreciate you, and uh, be safe out there. Thank you, guys.
Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.